Welcome to the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. This is the Club and Country Podcast, and I am Nashville SC play-by-play announcer Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the owner of the eponymous Club and Country website. You can find it at clubcountryusa.com. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the intro music. Tim, I was in your old stomping ground of uh, West Detroit, uh, you know, Ann Arbor Man. I guess it's not technically West Detroit. They would claim to be their own city. But hey, the, the, the last two years I lived in Michigan, I lived in downtown Detroit. So you're good. You're good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so it was there. It was getting on a plane to fly south uh, back to Nashville. And just behind me in the boarding line was a man in a full FC Cincinnati kit. <laughs> the, the, the socks and all well not full kit i guess the shirt on, he had the kit. shirt come on full kit <laughs> <laughs> if you fly in a full kit shin guards everything i mean you know and of course because you know he was fc cincinnati and i represent nashville sc he was behind me um <laughs> in in the line um matching the standings uh but it was great it, it reminded me of what we probably don't need to be reminded of which is that somehow tim the preseason starts in less than two weeks There are two new boys in gold after the MLS Super Draft, two players no longer wearing gold, and the roster kind of feels like it's rounding into form. Yeah, I mean, I think we're pretty much there. And if we're not there in terms of the final roster, any additions are going to join the club's preseason late because while we're, well, like you mentioned, a couple weeks away from preseason games, the preseason itself has begun in Florida for the boys in gold. So it's something to get really excited about, and there will finally be actual news rather than just uh, <laughs> just the roster machinations over the course of this offseason. Just the roster machinations. Come on. Like, you don't <laughs> live almost, for that stuff. I almost stuff. dropped it, but I saw you were about to say it. <laughs> Hashtag hot Tim winter. This is your time to shine. Don't minimize it. Come on yeah, now. I, yeah, no, I, I love it. I think everybody who listens knows that I love it, but... The reason I love it is because it, it means that there is that there is soccer to be played at the end of putting together a roster, and that's what we're here for more often than not. Fortunately, the season is a long one, and it's about to get going again. Thank goodness this is not just Football Manager, and we get to watch matches here rather <laughs> soon. Uh, and we'll continue today with a look at the fruits of the Super Draft. What does center back Ahmed Longmire bring to NSC? And why was Mike Jacobs going to bed the night before the draft trying to figure out a way to trade up for him in the first round? Tim, you spoke with Longmire's UCLA coach, really eager to hear what you learned from him. But as I'm looking at what Nashville did, just making a couple of picks and really solidifying the depth, this draft didn't really feel all that foundational for NSC. Part of that is, obviously, the roster is a little more put together now than it was in those first two years. Part of it is that first pick was at number 26 and until Nashville traded up, so there wasn't the chance to go get a top five talent. Just two picks this year versus five last season, and the club even passed on its final pick, which is common, I should say, in the later rounds. Uh, nonetheless, this felt like a draft by a team that's really settling into a stable situation in year three and is focused on maintaining rather than trying to build. Well, we'll get into it later, but I think Mike Jacobs might disagree with you about whether a top five talent was available for well, that's fair. see this that year's is draft. Fair. But like you mentioned, passing on that third round pick, I was a little bit disappointed that Nashville didn't use it for one of those purposes that we talked about last week, which is maybe drafting a guy who's from Nashville, from Tennessee, or plays in Nashville. There's a There were a couple guys um, from Belmont, I believe one from Belmont and one from Lipscomb who are eligible for the draft. I, I wanted to see that almost as a type of fan service to the, mm-hmm. to the local region and kind of saying, hey, let's pander to the community. Let's see if we can bring soccer talent and not necessarily on-field soccer talent to Music City and have it stay here because a rising tide will lift all ships in the long run and that will help Nashville SC, that will help the local clubs and that will hopefully help the first team of, of Nashville Soccer Club in the long run. Obviously, I understand not doing that. Mike, Mike Jacobs does not mess around, and, and passing on that final pick proves that he's here to build a first-team roster, and that was what his goal was. And as you can see, he, he probably felt there were only a couple players short of, of being there. Mike has been our guest twice on this show, and at the end of today's show, you will probably feel like he was our guest again for a third time. We will run several comments from him from his press conference after the MLS Super Draft. And so in the early shout today, we will recap the draft, plus a couple other roster updates as NSC sheds some salary and opens up a little flexibility, including loaning out a player who's gotten more airtime on this show than he's gotten playing time for Nashville SC. Um, How did Nashville's trade up to the 10th spot in the draft go down? Tim asked, Mike Jacobs answered, and what does Nashville SC's GM see in draftee 
Ahmed Longmire. We'll get tactical as well in the early shout before moving into your questions in the mailbag. A revealing comment from Mike Jacobs, Tim, about the team's search for an Alistair Johnston replacement, and we'll use that to answer a question about the club's future business potentially at that position. The term upgrade used by Mike Jacobs, plus how will travel impact NSC as it moves to the Western Conference Go outside in. The preseason schedule's out, and it raises the question as preseason really approaches very quickly, which team in the West still has the most work to do before the season kicks off? And then we'll have our content recommendations, as always, in the final whistle. Let's get moving, though, into the early shout. And we'll start with the MLS Super Draft. For the second time in three seasons, Mike Jacobs traded up with Colorado to get a pick in the top 11 of the draft and then selected a defender, and Tim, I think if center back Ahmed Longmire turns out half as well as Alistair Johnston did, we'll have about 500,000 reasons to call the pick a success. Yeah, I think he does turn out to be one heck of a pick. Like Johnston, he he's a guy who was widely uh, projected to go top five or at least considered a top five graduating talent. And when he was inexplicably or, or somewhat explicably, as we will talk about a lot in this episode, <laughs> when he was available in the, in the double digits, Jacobs had to move up to snag him. Tim, you asked Mike Jacobs right after the draft how that trade with Colorado, 125000 in GAM, went down. For that 11th pick in Nashville's eventual selection, here's what Mike Jacobs had to say. Tim, truth be told, uh, the last 48, 72 hours, you, know, you start trying to kind of feel out uh, the other contemporaries and try to get an idea of who's potentially looking to move their pick, who's going to use their pick. Uh, I would say that uh, we did start with teams slightly higher, uh, than Colorado. Uh, from our standpoint, I would tell you, like, uh, uh, you know, we were committed to kind of do we had to to acquire him. You know, the lower you go, the more you start to kind of hold your breath and hope that your guy's still going to be on the board. Uh, we got to a point when we got to 10, we just didn't think he'd be around that much longer. And then you start looking at the potential return, how much you're willing to spend to get your guy. And by the way, as an aside, as we get back into it, uh, Tim, I used to always love it when coaches or players would use my name in the response mm-hmm. of their soundbite. When I was in TV, I would I would always tend to run that soundbite, oh, yeah, even yeah. if it wasn't the most relevant or maybe the, the most <laughs> you know ear catching. You had to, right? It's kind of uh, Pat Summit, yeah. uh, Lady Vols coach, always the best, the best at doing that. I always treated you like you were the most important person in the room, and. She had no business treating me like that. Uh, I was a 23-year-old <laughs> number three reporter at the CBS affiliate. Nonetheless, yeah. getting back to the topic at hand, uh, after he used your name, Mike, with an interesting explanation um, of, of why these guys went up to get Ahmed Longmire. I think if Nashville had a top five pick, they, they probably would have gone with somebody from the generation Adidas class because of the combination of, of talent and value. Those are guys who don't hit the salary cap at all. Um, we've talked about it in the past. You can look up a past episode. Unfortunately, I can't give you one immediately here, but um, those guys do not hit your salary cap at all. And, and they're, they're good players who don't hit your salary cap for a couple of years. Um, Nashville was going to take one of those if they had a top five pick, but there's no doubt in my mind that Longmire was the top graduating senior on their board. Now, sometimes there can be a little bit of hyperbole with all general managers. And I, I don't think Mike is innocent of this where, where whatever happens is the best thing that he, that possibly could have happened for them. They got their number one pick. I think he, that that's a genuine take in terms of the graduating seniors. I think that's who Nashville really wanted. You can go to clubcountryusa.com to read a really interesting interview that that Tim did with UCLA's head coach, Ryan Jordan, about Longmire's game. Uh, And so we'll encourage folks to go there to read the full story. But to sum it up, Tim, what does Longmire's college coach think about what he's going to bring in SC? Yeah, for starters, he's a guy who absolutely loves to get dirty and, and actually perform the lost art of defending. I think it's something that as we focus nowadays on the ability for center backs to play with their feet and play this beautiful uh, Pep Guardiola-esque game, <laughs> uh, we forget that the, the, the number one job of these guys is to defend. It has defender right there in the name of their position. Um, and then second, I think he's a very good athlete and he's still young in his body. The fact that Jordan told me, look, this is a guy who who's absolutely going to add more weight and, and be even more of a physical presence to go along with some already top end athleticism i think long term he'll fill out and if he adds more on ball ability i think that's the one area that you could definitely say he's lacking right now um but if he does add that you can really look out this is is not going to be a virgil van dyke sort of guy (laughs) this is going to be a guy who's going to be a really good mls player with a little bit more of that final technical piece that's what longmire's college coach saw in him that's what tim sees in him through his analysis what about mike jacobs he weighed in on what he saw in the center back he's probably most comparable athletically probably to Romney from the standpoint of uh, his pace and a turn, 
Uh, I think our, our thought, we looked at like who we would kind of put together. We kind of thought that maybe having another guy with the pace he had and his, uh, his ability to win balls in the air, we would be a good fit with that group. Uh, I, I think he's a, he's a good player passing. It certainly can improve on you know, breaking lines and connecting passes. Uh, you know, Jack Mayer was one of the top center backs in the league as far as completion percentage uh, in passing and also in forward passing last year. So I kind of think that whoever we play Ahmed with, whether it's one of the three incumbents who played a lot last year, whether it's someone like Robert Castellanos, who we think a lot of also, we kind of think that this move helps us give us the right kind of depth, whether we're playing with two center backs or three center backs. So Mike Jacobs got to know Ahmed Longmire along with Chance Myers, the chief scout for Nashville SC. Let's get to know him a little better now in our gold nuggets. Three things you probably didn't know about Nashville's first round pick. Number one, he received all league honors in all four of his college seasons. Longmore, Longmire was on the WAC all-freshman team his first year at Utah Valley, and he was all-conference his sophomore season. Transferred to UCLA, was second-team all-pack 12, and then honorable mention. And, and Tim, the Bruins coach thinks he would have been a top-five pick if not for his injuries. Yeah, and I mentioned it before. The, the, the nature of the budgetary implications of the Generation Adidas class are always going to make it tough for a graduating senior to be that high of a pick. Mm-hmm. Um it's a, it's a dollar value that that kind of acts as a subsidy to, to the to the level at which they get picked in the first round. But in terms of talent, let's just say that there were two senior center backs picked ahead of him. And I don't think either of them should have been. <laughs> we'll put it that simple. <laughs> so once again, this club looking at the undervalued and, and bringing them in, trading up to do it in this case. Uh, number two, he's already familiar with Walker Zimmerman, at least a little bit. Longmire mm-hmm. told SBI Soccer he continues he considers Walker to be a role model, and he was actually able to speak with Zimmerman during the center back's time at LAFC. Um, Tim, Mike Jacobs never tires of complaining, Jack, of comparing. I keep on saying complaining. Mm-hmm. I'm not complaining. Yeah, I'm it's, happy. It's me listening you, to you trying to host. Thank, thankfully, I stumbled over that to ruin Oof. my great roast of you. <laughs> Oof. It still hurt, though. The knife was dull, but it still... <laughs> broke the skin oh man anyway mike jacobs never tires of comparing jack mayer get this thing back on the tracks to a young walker zerman he said that many times like don't want to put pressure on mayer but the skills that he has remind him of when when walker was at dallas do you also see walker's game reflected at all in longmire since he considers him to be a role model yeah, I was pretty surprised that Mike went to Dave Romney as the comparable. I think Romney is way too smooth in the passing game to compare. You know, we just talked about how Walker Zimmerman is not an elite passer from the center back position in this league. I think Romney is is pretty close. Obviously, the style that Nashville plays doesn't necessarily require him to do a ton of, of high-level, very technical, difficult passing, but he executes very well. But Longmire's size and leaping ability and, and his desire to get stuck in will call to mind nobody other than Walker Zimmerman. I think that that... That physical package and that mentality where he wants to go out and and capital D defend mm-hmm. are very important. And, and he may have a bit more mobility than Zimmerman, who I think is one of the most elite athletes at the center back position in this league. In the long run, if he continues to fill out, he might even be able to, to surpass what Walker is able to do in terms of defending. He's not going to be a goal scorer like Walker Zimmerman is. Yeah. He's not, probably not going to be a leader like Walker Zimmerman is. But he, he has some of the physical attributes that can allow him to be an elite center back. And he comes from a program that has developed top talent in the past. Our third and final fact here in Gold Nuggets is that Longmire comes from that same UCLA program that produced NFC Chief Scout Chance Myers, as well as 2019 top pick Frankie Amaya, among other talent. Uh, Tim, how does the Pac-12 stack up in the college soccer landscape? We talk a lot about the ACC. Obviously, there are a lot of connections for, to Nashville SC there. Uh, you know, Alistair comes to mind at Wake Forest, Mike Jacobs, Duke. Um, Dax, North Carolina, could keep going there. But what about out West? Um, how well should Longmire be prepared for the professional game based on what he faced in the Pac-12? There are a handful of college soccer programs that are that are in the pantheon of, of perennial contenders. And, and, you know, for the college football fans, think the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Oklahomas, the, the schools that have always been there and are currently there. Um, on the soccer uh, end of things, Akron, um, Teal Bunbury, a current National SC player, uh, Indiana, uh, Jack Mayer, North Carolina. You already mentioned Dax McCarty went there. There are obviously others, including uh, television broadcaster Jamie Watson uh, and, and UVA, Iricozzi Donaciano. Um, all these programs are, are very important in terms of producing MLS caliber talent. UCLA has probably produced as many pros as all of those programs combined. Hmm. It is it is that that behemoth in the college soccer world. Um, it's 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 
capital T, capital O, the one, you know, if you want to look back to Carlos Bocanegra, currently the uh, general manager at Atlanta United, but a longtime U.S. men's national team captain. If you want to look at Kobe Jones, who is, you know, for people of, of our approximate age, is, mm-hmm. are, is probably one of the two guys that you think of when, oh, when soccer really came on my radar as a kid, it was it was Kobe and it was Alexi Lalas who were the stars of that 1994 World Cup team. UCLA has put tons of guys into the pros, tons of guys into overseas, uh, you know, job positions in terms of sending guys to German uh, English clubs over the years. This is the program out there. Um, <laughs> if you want to look at, at just in terms of, of Longmire, how prepared he is, uh, if you look at if you look at the conferences, you, you mentioned the ACC there and and um, the Big Ten is also a strong one. The Big Ten had three uh, players in the first round of the draft this year, including the top two. Uh, Maryland and Indiana are often powers there and they, they were the top two picks um, came from those schools Um, for St. Louis university players. um, Three of those are generation Adidas players is kind of a a fluky year in terms of that program producing Uh quite that much talent. Although St. Louis is historically a very, very strong place in terms of producing high school talent. And um, the Billikens uh, (laughs) benefited this time around Um, six from the ACC went in the first round and five from the PAC 12 went in the first round. So it was just behind the, the ACC in terms of guys that, are in MLS as first rounders this year. And then when you look at, at who he faced outside of the league, they played Duke in the NCAA tournament. Um, two of the ACC's first rounders played at Duke this year. They played Loyola Marymount, which had a first rounder. And he even overlapped for a year, a, a practice year at Utah Valley University with fellow first rounder, Jojea Quizera. So he's prepared. He's gone against elite talent over the course of his college career, even dating back to his, his first college stop. So this is a guy who, uh, as much as any player coming out of college, knows what he's doing so going back to your ucla you know references as the one the program me crediting them with developing frankie amaya would be kind of like <laughs> saying that david schwimmer was the guy from the oj listen movie. listen i feel real bad for frankie amaya you mentioned that that we talked a lot about him i'm going into going into the inaugural yeah. season here for nashville sc and this is a guy who had he not started his career with FC Cincinnati, he might be on a path to be a, a very high caliber player in this league. And hopefully he still gets there. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he's kind of rebounded from that rocky start at FC Cincinnati. But um, yeah, too bad for him. He, he gets to be the David Schwimmer in this. <laughs> not the most fertile soil uh, to develop a player uh, on Cincinnati for sure. Um, Nashville is his other draft pick, by the way, University of Akron keeper, Will Meyer. He went 38th. You've just... Uh, we, we mentioned Akron is one of those historically strong programs. Of course, Caleb Porter uh, of Columbus uh, coached there for, for several years. Uh, Tim, when Nashville announced its offseason roster moves, it, it said then that it had declined the option of Brian Meredith but would continue to negotiate with the backup keeper. Do you think the selection of Meyer signals anything there? Does it signal a decision not to re-sign Meredith, or do you see him as a surefire loanee in his rookie year anyway and just a depth piece? Yeah, I, th- I don't think it indicates anything about Meredith. Um, Nashville carried four keepers last year. Um, they they cut Tor Saunders loose after his rookie year. Um, so if they want to have the same kind of roster fill out that they had last year, it would necessitate signing a guy. But um, there is yet to be an instant of competitive Nashville SC soccer without Joe Willis between the pipes. So anybody other than Joe is, is either a backup like Meredith was last year, a practice player like Saunders was, or a lone candidate like Elliot Panico was. And I do believe that this franchise still sees Elliot Panico as the keeper of the future. And, and Meyer can be another kind of bullet in that chamber and they'll um, either sign him and, and loan him out most likely, or if it doesn't look like it's going to work out through preseason, uh, n- eventually not even sign him to a contract. But I do think that this is a guy who is going to get a look and, and unlikely is going to it's going <laughs> to even make a bench for Nashville SC this year, no matter what happens. Friends, if you want the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage that discusses the richest traditions in college soccer, followed by the backup slash maybe fourth string keeper position of Nashville <laughs> SC. Look no further than club and country. Yeah, all, and all USL podcasts hit us up. <laughs> talk about second tier, but we'll bring first tier product to the microphone every time. Um, and so now let's talk about Colombia and, and Chilean soccer uh, and the salary relief category for Nashville SC. Miguel, Miguel Nazarit is off the books. He's on his way back to his native Colombia. Never played a minute for Nashville despite commanding nearly $900,000 in guaranteed annual salary. Um, Tim, the way MLS roster rules work, teams are, teams are allowed to, to buy out one contract per offseason. And Nashville wisely took the chance here to move Nazarit along. 
yeah, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that they were able to make it happen because um, it didn't look like Nazarit was on his way to being a contributor in this league. He barely even played for a mid-table team in Colombia last year. The intention of that loan being to get this guy some minutes in case he's going to be ready for Nashville SC. Um, he hardly played for Independiente Santa Fe. Some of that was that he was injured, but most of it was just that he was their, their fourth or fifth center back and, and didn't get a lot of minutes. That's probably not a guy who's going to contribute at the MLS level. And being able to shed that salary off of your of off of your budget uh, is, is going to go a long way towards making life a little bit easier and, and freeing up some of that extra allocation money to to go out and and build the roster as completely as Mike Jacobs would like. And the other move regarding a South American club, Rodrigo Pinheiro is going to be closer to home this coming season. He has been loaned out, according to an announcement uh, from Unión Española in Chile. Uh, the first division club in Chile announced his loan from NSC on Sunday. Uh, Tim, if that report is true, it's the kind of move that we both kind of thought would be the sensible next step for him. Be closer to home. He clearly was uh, was homesick based on some of his posts on social media. And, and no player is going to be happy to move up here as a young player with all kinds of hype and potential and, and play as, as seldomly as he did. Uh, so a good chance for him to develop, go back to a little closer to home. My question for you, do you think we ever see Pinheiro in gold again, or do you think he goes the way of Nazarite and gets bought out or eventually just moved on? Yeah, well, so it's for starters, he's under contract through 2023 with a club option for 24. So it would have to require a buyout or a, an international transfer to get this guy completely off the books. And I don't necessarily think that's the intention. Hmm. Um, the nature of the under 22 initiative makes his salary, salary much less of an albatross than Nazarite's was. To put it simply, if he's able to improve his game enough and mature off field enough. And I, I don't mean kind of overcoming childishness. I mean, being ready to move to a country where he doesn't speak the, the language of record and being able to um, kind of comprehend guys who did not grow up in South America, like he did in ways that he wasn't able to during a global pandemic. Yes. That's something that obviously affected everybody. We saw it affect a bunch of Nashville SC's first year players too. So it was not something that was easy. And this is not a ding on Pinero's character. It's just a matter of being ready to come to Nashville. And if he is after a year in Chile, I have no doubt that Mike Jacobs would welcome him with open arms and say, Hey, let's, let's give this another go. Let's, let's see what we can do here. So a low risk move for Nashville SC, sensible move for the player and doing right by the player as well uh, in the podcast's opinion uh, to get him back closer to his native Uruguay and, and give him a chance to develop. Moving on to your questions and thoughts, let's hit the mailbag and start with uh, perennial mailbag guest John Mueller. Is there an official airline partner of Nashville Soccer Club that's going to hook us up this year? He says, <laughs> Man, wouldn't that be a great, a great thing to do? Some nice flight discounts uh, moving out to the West. But seriously, he says, away travel has been largely fledgling the first two seasons. And he says, I expect any momentum to be halted by being in the West. What are y'all's thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think there will be fewer mass sections of NSC fans. Yeah. There won't be like 200 people in a section at, at Bank of California Stadium, most likely. But um, the reality of the travel just makes it too difficult for people to have to fly there rather than having some drivable trips. There will still be dedicated fans making a number of the trips and, mm -hmm. and maybe some local support of people who have either moved away from Nashville or just happen to have decided that Nashville is going to be their MLS team because the local team just never really did it for them. Um, Fortunately, Major League Soccer wisely gave drivable trips to Columbus, Charlotte, and Cincinnati in the East. So that's going to be a big boost. I think all three of those will get massive Nashville turnouts if, yeah. if the uh, circumstances align properly. But I think the best case scenario is that if there is a big a drop in support this year, it just turns out to be a one-year blip as, as Nashville is almost certainly going back to the uh, back to the East. Oh, my gosh. They flip so often. I can never remember which phase <laughs> of the cycle they were in. <laughs> Hopefully, they flip back to the East in the 2023 season. And, and it's a little bit more consistent in terms of fans ability to travel i'll go far as to say that that cincinnati away match will be the largest single um, nashville sea away attendance in its three-year uh mls history and you can't really well, count yeah, the last year, time but... last time the fans who went got to see a touchdown put on the board by nashville so <laughs> right yeah the promise of offense at least on one side and in that case in two uh, i will say this it would it would uh reek of of privilege for either of us to suggest you know hey you should go to a game out west and check it out it's not possible from a, a cost or availability standpoint for every fan um, if it is possible, though, um, to get out there, I would certainly encourage any fan who's able, who has the, the means and the flexibility to make one road trip this year out west. Um, there are direct flights to every western market uh, where Nashville will play, except for Vancouver. Um, 
But hey, Seattle's close to Vancouver, so you could, you know, double up there a little bit. Um, so, I mean, flying out there repeatedly gets expensive. It gets unwieldy. But we would encourage, I mean, every NSC supporter who can to try to take one. I think the, the bright side of moving to the West is it's, like you said, likely a sojourn over there. It's going to last a year. And so it's like a, a Nashville MLS 201 class where you get to know some new traditions and cultures. Uh, it's a bit of a remedial class since that class was canceled in Nashville's debut year, and there wasn't a chance uh, to go out west except for you know a couple fanless games in, in Dallas and um, SKC in Houston. There wasn't much opportunity there. So it's an opportunity for those who want to get out and take a trip. But yeah, it's going to put a dent in that travel. I think you know fans would do well to look at it as an opportunity for a quality experience if not a quantity experience and get to see some cool places and traditions that um let's face it it may be a while till nashville travels out to some of those um, those clubs again yeah and i have to say from the perspective of fans it is annoying that it's going to be more difficult to travel but in terms of a tv product in terms of of the fans who do have the opportunity to travel it's exciting to get through each and every mls team mm-hmm. by the end of your third year in the league because not it's not a guarantee that you get to see any of these West teams anytime soon if Nashville had stayed in the East. So it's nice to, to kind of knock out the whole league and get everybody under the belt for one, at least one time. And it's a challenge for, for the broadcasters and journalists covering the teams too. I'm working on my Western conference depth charts right now, uh, getting ready for, for the radio uh, product. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I follow the league closely, but even then, you know, you don't know a Houston inside and out, like, you know, a Philadelphia or a Cincinnati by now. Uh, so it is definitely, definitely going to be a fun challenge to embrace. Um, Logan asks what we should know about Nashville's new draftees. I think we've covered um, that at least a little bit here. Um, but a second question was good, I think. Do you think Jacobs was, was always planning to trade up, or was it more of a reaction by Mike when he saw a player he liked falling in the draft, Tim? Yeah, I mean, I mean you can rewind a couple minutes to see what we think about the, <laughs> yeah. about the draftees. And, and I do encourage people to check out clubcountryusa.com for the uh, update on Ahmed Longmire that Wes mentioned earlier with his high school or with his college coach, Ryan Jordan. Um, I think he may very well be the future of the position. Obviously, he's going to work his way into playing time for the boys in gold. He's a developmental piece in some ways, but a lot of potential. And uh, Tim, Mike Jacobs was clear. This was his top choice mm-hmm. and he got him. Went to bed last night thinking about what would we have to do to move up to get the guy that we identified as our top choice, which was Longmire? Uh, when you look at the other players that we identified, uh, our feeling was the guys we wanted, and specifically our top choice, would not be around at 26. So for us, our hope was trying to identify other teams that maybe would offer us the opportunity to move up, uh, maybe looking at the fact that we were doubling down on our ability to identify talent and maybe try to, to grab someone in a spot or maybe as we've done most of our last two years, try to identify potentially undervalued players externally that we valued highly. As for Will Meyer, uh, Tim, your thoughts on on bringing in a keeper with that second pick and, and whether that was premeditated or if that was, you know, we need a keeper and Meyer's the best one still on the board. I think Nashville is probably going to take a keeper in every draft, whether they need one or not, because it makes sense. It's a position that you can get talented players out of the college ranks, which you cannot do at every position in this league. And they can either keep guys in training if they like, if they have longer term potential or or loan them to USL if they're guys who are shorter term potential and they need to get them ready. Um, The two-year path for Elliot Panico thus far is a good blueprint. Um, Nashville kept him in training in the first year and then loaned him out to get him minutes with Austin Bold last year. Of course, if the first impression isn't good for Meyer, there's a chance that he leaves Nashville without signing and instead finds a permanent home in USL. Well, it's good, too, because then Elliot didn't panic when he was between the sticks <laughs> in USL because he'd had that MLS training experience. Shout out to his parents who are big, who are big Club Country USA tweet likers. As well. Yes. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Julie, right? His, his mom. Yeah. She's, uh, she follows the club so closely and does a great job sharing that content. From Will Meyer to Jack Mayer. Question from Nashville. Nick, what type of milk does Jack Mayer drink? We need to know. Um, 23% milk is my answer uh, because <laughs> okay. only 23%, please, please. it would be very, I mean, the milk fats like off the charts there. It's basically like ice cream, but only 23% of MLS center backs had more interceptions per 90 than Jack this year. So that's, that's possibility number one, or maybe it's skim milk because the technical staff believes that Jack has only skimmed the surface of his full potential. Okay. First of all, I think 23% milk is, is that like double milk? 
because <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I don't think you start with 100% milk fat. Right? I don't I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm not it's basically guy. like I think the percentage of milk fat in ice cream is somewhere around that, right? Yeah. So I think it's something <laughs> like it's it's like I think my dad mentioned the best ice cream he's ever had was actually at Michigan State, your rival. At their um, they have an agricultural school that's really strong, and they have a dairy on campus, and they make this killer ice cream that's like 80% milk fat or something. So it's something like that, I think. Well, shout out to Penn State while we're while we're shouting out Big Ten ice cream uh, programs <laughs> because State that's why you listen, that's folks. That's a great one. But anyway, in terms of Jack Mayer's milk preference, I'm guessing whole probably because it's the best. It is the it's best. That simple for me. It's that simple for me. <laughs> it's it is the best. That's for sure. Uh, Alex, when what does Loba getting the number nine signify about his role on the team? Aki Loba changing numbers to the number nine. Tim, is that significant or is it just he likes the number nine as his lucky number, whatever other reason? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think it's going to surprise anybody to find that he's one of the club's top choices for striker, right? I, that's not a mystery to anybody. They signed him <laughs> for a reason. At the same time, I'm, I mean, I'm not personally much of a jersey numbers guy. I know a lot of people who are especially followers of European soccer really put a lot of value into the number nine being the team's line leading striker or number 10 being the, the most creative player on the team. I'll admit when Christian Pulisic got the number 10 for Chelsea, I, I got a little excited about it mm-hmm. because it, it can mean something, but um, you know, in American soccer, I think it can be just as much about a personal preference and um, you know, Ake Loba, Growing up, probably idolized a striker who happened to wear number nine because I think, like in the '90s, that was a little more common. That's that how it goes. Gosh, he was probably growing up in the 2000s. I'm so old, um, but it was, it was that was it was a little more common a, a while ago to stick to the one through eleven kind of number system, and and it kind of perpetuates that way. But in terms of what it means for his standing in the club, I think I don't think it says anything that we didn't already know about. With all the respect and love in the world to Aki Loba, I don't plan to look up who he idolized as a kid because it would make me yeah. feel no, extremely I, I, old too. I was updating my Nashville SC roster chart earlier today, and I think he was born in 1998. Yeah. We are old. We are old guys, Wes. We are old guys. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Well, I'm going to take my creaky back on to the next question. Oh, first, by the way, a couple other roster updates. Um, according to the club's website, Ethan Zubak is wearing 11. That's what Pinheiro had last year. Of course, he'll be out on loan, as we mentioned. Teal Bunbury wearing 12, Josh Bauer 22, and Sean Davis gets the coveted number 54. Oh, yes, that's, that's the uh, the traditional number worn by the, <laughs> the holding midfielder. <laughs> yes, naturally. It is a classic holding mid number, by the way. It really is. It's like, if you're, you know, you're the linebacker, linebacker of the team. linebacker with a neck roll type yep. number. Yeah. Totally. It totally is. Yep. Uh, Stashville, what are the chances we get an upgrade at right back before the season starts? And that's the question we've discussed before, but with each week, as things change around the league, as, as draft picks come in, I think it, it continues to be a topic of conversation. Yeah, I mean, Nashville isn't selling its starting right back without some sort of contingency plan, whether that's Eric Miller or somebody else. But but Mike hasn't made it a secret that he thinks there was an opportunity or he wouldn't have shipped Alistair Johnson away to CF Montreal for a hefty fee. And even though... Mike took to the podium last week to talk about the super draft. He had what for my mind was the quote of the press conference in answering your question, Tim, about his plans at that position. And he used the word upgrade. Look, Alistair was a super popular player also, you know, and, uh, you know, he's, uh, uh, so we wish the best of luck, not only in Montreal, but, you know, going forward internationally also. But, you know, for us, we actually were hoping to upgrade it right back. You know, I think we felt this last year, whether it's, uh, you know, quality of crosses, uh, whether it's more execution on that flank. I think it's something that we want to try to improve in. And, you know, uh, uh, when you look at the players we return, you know, we think that some of those guys can fill in that spot. And we also have uh, some other candidates potentially that we continue to kind of explore. And my uh, Mike really makes my ears pop there. I think we all know that Alistair Johnston was a talented player, a growing player, a dynamic player who was, as Mike says, very popular. But yeah, the attacking side of his game was something that was still under development and didn't allow Nashville to have those weapons on, on both sides of the pitch as Dan Lovitz was so effectively this past year. So interesting to hear him say it, though, in so many words at the presser. And you do wonder, Tim, what the what the plan is. I still see something happening uh, my move is to get a time machine mm-hmm. yes. uh, because that that's naturally the first move, right? Yeah. You can use GAM for that. Um, and reduce Harrison Awful's age by like eight years and sign him away from Charlotte FC. I think he could be the type of guy, you know, that, that marauding, you know, right back type of, of player who would be really effective, but he's 35. And um, while I think 35 is very young in real life terms, um, of course, <laughs> not to shame myself there. 
Um, uh, of course, in soccer terms, those legs aren't quite as quick as they used to be. Yeah. Is there like anti-aging allocation money that they can spend on a guy like Harrison Awful, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> I don't he's know. Got, he's got to go back in time a few years. Um, shout out to Huey Ye- Lewis in the news. Is that uh, YAM? Youth allocation money? Yeah, there we go. There we go. We're, for we're, YAM. Fountain of youth allocation money. For YAM. We're coming there up with something. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I do think there's a likelihood. Mike was extremely clear about it, that that there's a new right back eventually. The question is is whether it's before the season starts. And I, that is, again, a possibility. Mike said that's a possibility before the season starts. But it could also make sense to, to roll with what you have, to roll with Eric Miller and maybe some other um, rotating cast of characters, whether that's Jose Donaciano on the right side there, and, and see if you can make a, a big splash in the summer window. There is going mm-hmm. to be a little bit of allocation money to splash if that's necessary. There's going to be, in all likelihood, and unless there's a surprise coming down the pike, there's going to be a designated player spot available in the summer window as well. Uh, there aren't very many fullbacks who are designated players in this league, but if you added one, that would be quite the splash for mm-hmm. this club, especially if that's the what looks like the one missing piece through the first half of the season. And we, you know, we'll mention those two names out there again who are on that MLS uh, player allocation uh, list, and that would be DeAndre Yedlin or Reggie Cannon. Uh, again, that would be the splashiest of splashes, really, when it comes to guys who've played in the league and had great success abroad as well. Or well, in the if case. they're uh, if they're gonna stick with a back five, Chelsea's right wing back Christian Pulisic is an option. Right? <laughs> let's just go. Let's just go with all the highest profile Americans we can find. He is an option. He is an option <laughs> in the same way that I play soccer. Um, technically true, but not really realistic yes. the, the classic tim would like to date Shakira. tim expresses interest in dating shakira uh, <laughs> statement when I, whenever somebody expresses interest in something they have not yet been linked however yeah. um wyatt with the final question today y'all have talked a lot about player transfer scenarios but what's the future look like for gary smith is he building something up for another coach to inherit or is he building a dynasty um i'll start wyatt i think dynasty is a really strong word for any coach uh, who hasn't won you know two three consecutive titles uh, but but he's building something sustained, and I don't think there's any plan in anybody's mind at the club that, hey, Gary's our transitional guy, and then we're getting rid of him and getting somebody else in. I think Gary has as much equity with his own front office as just about any manager in MLS, but look at Bob Bradley in LAFC. Look how quickly things can potentially change, and I'll say that not because I'm speculating anything. I'm far from it, but because Gary Smith looks at it that way. Uh, we've had that conversation with him. He's mentioned it publicly that he doesn't take a single day in this job for granted. And uh, he has been treated. He's been on the wrong end of what he perceived to be some unfair treatment in the past. I think many around the league perceived it to be in Colorado a year after winning MLS cup. He's let go. Uh, Stevenage similarly unsatisfying situation where he goes on a long successful run and then has a blip and he's out. So he knows the game. He knows what's up. Um, But that's his understanding of the reality of soccer. That is not our understanding of this situation where Gary is as stable as anybody in this league, in my opinion. I think the the first thing that you said is the most important one. Gary Smith isn't here to make somebody else in the future's job easier. Gary Smith is here to win major league soccer games. And uh, I think we've seen uh, maybe, maybe win and, and draw major league soccer games. I should say <laughs> we've seen, we've seen him do plenty of that and we'll, probably continue to see him do plenty of that as long as as he's continuing to be in the good graces of this club and I don't think that he's done anything yet that has changed that I think you can see that as the roster continues to build and and some of that is even you build by not changing anything you build by maintaining stability Mm -hmm. you can see instances where they're ready to take the next step and it doesn't require a new coach to do that Gary Smith has the ability to do that and I think he has every intention of doing that as long as he's ball coach there has been a coach that has left Nashville SC's staff this week, and it was Brett Jacobs. Nashville SC assistant moves to Real Salt Lake to work under Pablo Mastroeni, and Wyatt asks what his appeal was to RSL. And first thing I can say is there's an existing relationship there yeah. with Pablo, who uh, played and coached under Gary Smith. Yeah, Pablo was the captain of, of the Colorado Rapids team when Gary was there, and, and Brett was an assistant on that team. I think that relationship has been strong, and um, Pablo, I believe, served as interim coach when Gary was fired at, at the Colorado I Rapids. That's I don't remember that for sure. But, um, yeah, so these guys have have a longstanding relationship, and I don't think 
Um, the flip side of that, I don't think it says anything negative about Brett's relationship with Gary either. I think it was just an opportunity to say, hey, come be my first assistant. Let's build something new together in a pretty similar region to where we, we did it before mm-hmm. and to where we were, um, you know, we, we reached the heights of Major League Soccer. And I think that's something that has appealed to Brett as, as much as he feels so, so strongly in the positive about Gary and about Nashville SC. It was an opportunity for him. And, and frankly, it's, it's not show friends. It's show business is something I always like to say in situations like this. Sure. And those lines of communication uh, remained open. I know when Gary was in USL, I believe he even brought in Pablo to come consult every now and then. And uh, so definitely good relationships there. I think there. Pablo was even on the bench for a few days. I think that's correct. Yeah. I think it, it, he, did a, he pulled a Steve Guppy because Steve also did that and ended yeah, up joining yeah. the staff in MLS. All right, let's go outside in quickly. The preseason starts 10 days from the moment that we're recording this. So nine days or fewer from the moment you guys are listening. Sources tell the podcast that that's ridiculous. It's amazing how quickly it's exciting, this is though. gone. It's exciting. It's ridiculous in a good way. Oh, yes. No, it's absurd, but we're really happy about it. Um, because Hot Tim Winter needs to turn into to <laughs> Warm Tim Spring. Oh, we'll workshop some yeah. ideas there. Tepid, not... tepid, tepid <laughs> Tim. Yeah, we'll, we'll come up with something. <laughs> yeah, it'll be better than that, hopefully. Um, the schedule, by the way, Nashville SC will um, start on January 28th against TBD. Um, TBD also, um, by the way, the time for a lot of uh, fixtures in the Premier League right now. So they're <laughs> TBD really busy these days. Uh, February 8th, it'll be Charlotte FC taking on Nashville SC. All matches that have locations listed um, have them listed in Florida. That one's going to be down in Florida, um, as well as contests on the 15th and 18th of February against FC Cincy and Philly, but back to the 12th also against TBD. So a couple of matchups against TBD. They'll really get to know their tactics well. Uh, but Tim, any, anything you take away from that preseason schedule besides a couple of fun little rematches against the rival FCC and, uh, and against Philly, the team that ousted Nashville from the playoffs? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see Charlotte. Uh, they have not looked so hot so far building their <laughs> roster. Um, we'll talk about it in a sec. But um, it's also going to be interesting to see if, if Cincinnati looks like they're headed in the right direction with a completely new um, kind of uh, technical staff in, in place there and see if they finally have some people who have it figured out. I'm actually pretty interested in those unannounced games, those as yet unannounced opponents. I would imagine one of them is against the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They've been on the preseason mm-hmm. schedule, um, both in the USL and MLS days in the past. And obviously being just down the road in Sarasota is something that makes it for a, a pretty easy trip. And it's also pretty easy to cancel if if you have situations that arose last preseason where some of these games just didn't end up happening, whether that was for virus protocol reasons or in the case of the Birmingham Legion game because of a flat tire on the bus. Um, but it's, it's a situation where you want to test yourselves against Charlotte, Cincy, and Philly, um, probably mostly against Philly of uh, <laughs> that cohort. But you do also want to have the chance to, to kind of work on yourself and not worry about the opposition a little bit. And I think that those two games are more likely to be the opportunities to do that. Speaking of teams working on themselves, we've discussed the work that remains for Mike Jacobs. What about elsewhere, um, particularly in the West, but really across MLS? Which team has its stuff together right now and kind of has that identity? And and is there anybody you think still has just a a lot of work left to do? You mentioned Charlotte a minute ago. Yeah, I'm going to cheat and I'm not going to name a Western Conference team because I I refuse to follow your rules, Wes. But um, it it is Charlotte. Their roster build is going very poorly now. Don't get me wrong. There's still time before the regular season to make a recovery when they still have open DP spots. They still have plenty of roster space. But I think early indications are that a guy who who had very limited uh, exposure to MLS, much less any MLS experience and and no experience as a general manager uh, was probably not the one that you want to hire if you're a new MLS franchise. Which is so interesting when the trend, especially in the last couple of years, has been to, to value that MLS experience, mm-hmm. to hire within the league because of the nuances that make it so tough to win if you don't have um, the knowledge of the intricacies of, of the league and the roster rules. I, I mean, I, I guess it's bad to only have one DP and only four forwards on your roster a month from kicking off the season. I guess um, to use to use an international slot and Tam on your keeper. <laughs> just a lot of challenges there. I'll tell you what, though, I'll take a second and praise FC Cincinnati. I should have shaken the hand of the guy who was getting on the plane after me in Detroit. Chris Albright has was it uh, Frankie Amaya? <laughs> Maybe it was Frankie Amaya himself. Frankie Amaya has put on some weight and lost some hair. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. Uh, I'd like to take a second though and praise FC Cincinnati. Um, Chris Albright 
has a grasp of how to build an MLS team. He's the number mm-hmm. two in Philadelphia. We knew that he would bring knowledge and cachet into Cincinnati um, and actually build an MLS team and not a football manager club of unrelated parts or a FIFA roster. Um, Alec Khan, Khan, an inexpensive and potentially reliable keeper who comes in from Atlanta, actually started the first ever Atlanta United match back in the day. He's got experience. He knows what he's doing. He's more reliable than the... Uh, rotating cast of characters they brought in between the sticks. Don Baji, we don't have to tell you that he's a stable striker, great locker room guy. When he's healthy, he's really going to add a lot of value. Had a good finish in Colorado. Ray Gaddis comes out of retirement. Is he going to play, you know, 2,000 minutes? Maybe not. But but again, a great locker room guy who has familiarity with Albright and, and with that staff. And they've gotten rid of ill-fitting parts like Joe Jowell, who was a left wing. They lined up at right back. Uh, Kamahelo Makocho, Harris Madunian, who was great in his day, but but not in his prime. I think Cincinnati, they're they're just they're showing just some sprouts of hope and competency after a really rough few years. Yeah, I'll get back to the question as asked. I'll, I'll, Fair enough. I've taken the time to reconsider my my insolence to your rules, but <laughs> um, I think I think the team that has it most together in the West is going to shock and amaze you, and and it's a two way tie, and you can probably guess who they are without looking at a single piece of off season news or seeing what these guys have done because they always have it together. That's Seattle Sounders and Sporting KC. Hmm. Um, you could probably say that you know every year. Um, Seattle has maintained their talent while adding Albert Rusnak and Kellen Rowe, and they have an offseason of, of getting Jordan Morris back closer to full health after he um, began the year injured while on loan. And then uh, when you look at SKC, they lost Ilya Sanchez and, and Jalen Lindsay, but I think they, they may very well have upgraded uh, in that central midfield spot and, and at fullback uh, with Uri Rossell, uh, late of Orlando City, and Ben Sweat, who had a very strong career at NYCFC before a, a cursed Miami-Austin combo over the past two years. I think there's a really good chance that you could look at both of those clubs and say, okay, maybe they underachieved in the playoffs a little bit, but both of them are consistent and both of them are better than they were last year. Good answer. Yeah, I think that's that's great. And our thoughts, by the way, to Alan Polito and to the SKC franchise after Polito lost likely for the whole 2022 season due to injury. Hate to see that for anybody and hope he's able to to get back as quickly as possible. Um, as for a team with question marks, um, I think it's perpetually going to be FC Dallas for me until they find that balance between developing players, which they do as well as anybody, and reinvesting the transfer money that that they get for those players, they have all the money in Augsburg right now to build their <laughs> roster. Uh, you know, as much as twenty million over a few installments because of the sale of Ricardo Pepe. But they've only made a couple acquisitions so far this off season, and those things take time. The big money acquisitions, especially, do um, to get the resources lined up. Uh, to get you know relationships with players and agents and clubs, they are linked with a young Argentine uh, win, a winger in Alan Velasco. But Tim, I think again, until they start really adding those players and hitting on these DPS, mm-hmm. they've they've got to convince a lot of people that they're going to reinvest successfully somewhere other than just the Hunt family's pockets. Yeah, well, I think the Hunt family is probably doing okay <laughs> with, with the non MLS phases of their of their sports empire uh, considered. But I'd say so. The, the, the issue with Dallas has has not really been an unwillingness to spend, which is what you might expect of a team that has developed a lot of really good talent but been bad. It's been spending money in ways that haven't worked out for them. They've they've hit on designated players at approximately a 0% rate. Um, that's something that you can't do if you want to have success in this league, if you're going to spend that money especially. And I do think you look, you look at what they've done historically, and it doesn't necessarily give you faith that they're going to get it right before the regular season begins this year either. These hot Tim winter shows have been so much fun because I go into it thinking, you know, we've got some things to talk about, but I don't know how long we'll really, really go. And then they become some of our longest and most robust conversations (laughs) because there's just so much to get to. Um, And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And we'll continue, of course, to get into the nuances of these roster rules and how they're impacting Nashville SC. Thanks to everyone for your questions. Um, As we blow the final whistle here, it's time for content recommendations. I saw a really fun uh, interesting and a little bit maddening um, documentary last night, Tim, I want to recommend. It's on Netflix called Bad Sport. It's a, a series of hour-long episodes, and I watched the one about Juventus and their um, their match-fixing match, match scandal. That's what happens when I say <laughs> phrases while I'm hungry. Um, and it, it's enlightening. It's interesting. You see inside the world of, of corrupt Italian soccer as it, as it was 15 years ago. And ultimately all the questions that the scandal raises remain because nothing was truly, really answered through the legal system. 
and you were left wondering if this is just going to be business as usual if it's not sanctioned, if it's not uh, not fully punished. It was very interesting, um, and you get uh, all, all kinds of cool cameos. You get a young Zlatan in there, a young uh, Kaká, uh, Zinedine Zidane's around. It's it's this confluence of all kinds of legendary players with a very um, very corrupt, frustrating but intriguing mafia-like uh, without the bloodshed. Uh, for the most part, uh, situation. It's really, really well done and recommend that. Again, it's bad sport and it's the Juventus episode. I am absolutely dumbfounded to hear that a situation involving FIFA and the Italian legal system didn't quite work out. Like right? who, knew? Should, but, who knew? Um, my, my content recommendation, I think people who follow uh, Club Country USA on Instagram, which everyone should, I very rarely remember to post there, saw saw the story on Saturday. I, I in uh, I enrolled producer Lily in child soccer classes, which is phase one. Phase two, uh, producer Lily began preschool this week. And guess what? I've gotten more work done in two <laughs> days than I've, than I've gotten done in, in a typical week uh, over the past couple of years. So I recommend uh, sending your kids to be somebody else's problem for a few hours every day. Education has many benefits, many benefits. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I saw the story post. She had a rocket right foot there. Yeah, that's... I can, I, I, she won't use the left, man. She'll stand on the ball with her left foot, but that's it. That's it. <laughs> well, you know, there's time to teach both feet. I mean, you know, once they dad's, hit eight, dad's they a lefty to... too, so it's, it's devastating to me. Oh, uh, hey, man, same here. I, I, I'm yeah. lefty and, and Cameron is, I mean, he's a year and a half. He, technically too young to be showing hand dominance, I think. But he does nothing with his left hand, and, yeah, and I'm a lefty. That's how so too, yeah. I, I asked my wife, "Well, how am I going to like teach him how to throw a ball?" And she was like, "You were really going to be the person to teach him that anyway." <laughs> God, man, that's cold. <laughs> the truth just really, really stings sometimes. Shout, uh, shouts to her. That's that's better than any roast I've tried to get in. <laughs> but you'll keep trying, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Keep hitting me with the blunt objects. Uh, well, thanks guys for listening. Uh, this was another great episode of, of Hot Tim Winter uh, as we are, are just right in the heart of, the of off season. Probably here. Huh? What, what's that? Probably the penultimate Hot Tim Winter episode, really, as we have actual soccer action to talk about soon. It's true. We're running out of time to develop the hashtag for what comes next. If you have any <laughs> ideas, you're still listening to this after all the talk about Big Ten land grant ice cream products, um, et cetera, then, then bless you. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. And there's so much to discuss here in the coming weeks. Can't wait. Uh, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music at the beginning and here in just a sec at the end of the show. Guys, we really would love for you to get on Apple Podcasts and just give us a really quick rating. If you're feeling really generous, give us a review as well. Tell five us what stars, you think. Five stars. And you can write that in the text box too. I think you can click the five stars and mm-hmm. you can write five stars. That gives us 10 stars actually. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah. I think it really Take distorts the average. Jobs. So we want to get above five on our average. Uh, Really, really would appreciate that. It, it's, you know, again, if you're still listening, you clearly like something that's happening here, and that helps other people find it. It helps you spread the word uh, with other people as well. So give us a rating, give us a review, and then follow us each on Twitter as well. Tell a friend about the show, and uh, we really want to, to continue to grow this robust community that we uh, have, have been able to cultivate thanks to your loyalty. Uh, thanks to the 440 Sports Network, uh, as always, for giving us the platform to have these conversations. Guys... It's coming up, man. A week and a half away from preseason soccer. We will see you next week. Looking forward to it.